Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Polygreens podcast. And uh, I'm Joe Swartz from AmHydro, along with my friend and colleague, Nick Greens of the Nick Greens Grow Team. And today we're going to talk about you. We're going to talk about you as a grower, as uh, an engineer, as an enthusiast, as a home gardener, uh, as a researcher, as an educator. So, um, so really, what we when we we look at controlled environment agriculture and we look at social media and everything else, of course, we're inundated all the time with all of these big grow operations and all this cool technology, and um, there's certainly places for that and there's certainly applications for that. But uh, Nick and I, you know, both, we, we met consulting on a, a project uh, a number of years ago, about six years ago already. Um, Nick has consulted for growers all over the world. I have traveled the, the globe myself, um, work with growers, and, and every single one of them is very unique. Their, their personalities, their mission, their situation, their location. Um, and so we'd like to really kind of crack, you know, crank down a little bit and look at the process. And what we'd really like for you to do today is to think about your own particular situation, because basically everything that we're going to talk about today is applicable to you. If we're talking about a large-scale commercial system, a home hobby system, some type of research system, any of those things, they apply to you. And, and how we approach a project or approach a client or approach some type of commercial venture or other types of CEA systems will apply to you in certain ways. And so Nick has a, a very unique and pragmatic approach. Um, my approach is as well based on my experience and success as a commercial grower, what I've seen uh, in the industry. And uh, Nick's got a few projects coming on right now that, that he can talk about as well. But what we'd really like to do is kind of start at the beginning because people sometimes look at the technology, they look at the systems and this is, they want this, but they're not really quite sure exactly what they're doing or what their goal is. And so we really start the process in kind of a holistic way. And so what we'd like to do is kind of talk you through this. And, and regardless of your situation, where you are, whether you're a commercial grower or just someone that's interested, what we're talking about today will apply to you. So just think about your own and situation. And any stage they're in their project. Is it the beginning stages? Is it, Are they further along? Has the farm been running for only two years? I mean, those things, I mean, any of those uh, uh, do depend on how we approach it. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So, Nick, you were, you were talking off air a little bit about uh, a new project you're working on uh, recently. Why don't you just kind of walk through, um, walk everyone through how you looked at the project and kind of where you're at with it? Well, first off, I look at the project based on, on you know, a couple of different things. And first off, do I have the resources in front of me, right? Do, do I have the, uh, the partnerships also um, as well? You know, sometimes people come to me, they want to build a cloning a lab or a tissue cloning lab. Well, I don't know much about tissue cloning. Um, I, I don't know that many people that do tissue cloning. So that would be a project that I would turn down, you know, something in that kind of category. But if it's just a regular vertical farm and they want to do it indoors, a lot of people don't know usually where they want to put the farm. You know, some people, you know, don't, don't know. Are they see an expensive shipping container? You know, spend, can I, should I spend $130,000 on a shipping container? I would absolutely recommend them not to, um, you know, I would rather rent out a little 200 square foot office and do it in that office first before I tell somebody to buy a $120,000 shipping container. 
So that that's kind of one way too, right? Like, so it's, it's just the way I would, well, this particular uh, project that approached me, um, they have a loft. Um, so they rent out a loft workspace where they are already doing work out of. Uh, so they asked me if that would be a good space. So that's where I would start with this project. This project has already got the loft. Um, I want to go check out the loft and see, you know, uh, you know, how, what that temperature is like inside that loft. Uh, Glenn Beerman had uh, one of our previous guests had made comments just to your to your earlier point about when he is approached by someone. If someone is really married to a certain technology or married to a certain uh, process that he doesn't think is a good one and that will you know does not have a good opportunity for success, he'll turn those clients away. And there's there's very few consultants that will do that. Um, which is a good thing. And I know that you've done that in the past where you've said, look, here's what, what I'm recommending and it's based on X, Y, Z. Um, and, and sometimes clients, you know, they have something in mind and they want to pursue that. But if, if you don't think that that's a good approach, I've done this myself. If you don't think it's a, a valid way forward, you know, there, there are times when you have to say, well, okay, well, good luck. And here's maybe someone else that would help you. But uh, I, I don't want to be involved with a project that, that I know doesn't or feel strongly does not have a good and it may just be a, a cost factor right they may be spending a little bit more than they're bringing in and and i can see that model already in front of my face so i'm gonna let them know that this is not right unless not making money is part of their their <laughs> their their plan right <laughs> and mm. i don't know who's gonna make a, a plan on growing food to not make money so that's that's you know so yeah if you're farming which is what we're all doing on, any, on certain levels. Um, if you're farming, obviously you're looking to produce plants to get a positive economic outcome, to make money doing it. And, and so there's a lot of factors in that. I know with, with clients, in fact, I, I've been working recently with, with one, um, they wanted a certain type of system and we sat them down and we, we, we kind of reeled it back and started talking to them about their goals. Um, you know, this was in the Northeast, um, wanted to build a hydroponic greenhouse, wanted to grow lettuce. And, you know, on the on the surface, that may look good. And you say, okay, well, here's a greenhouse and here's a growing system that would, would allow you to do that. But we had to really dial them back and start looking at what they were looking to do. And what came out was they, were, they didn't have a lot of clarity. And that's something that all of you should be thinking about. Um, even if you're a commercial grower, stepping back and that self-reflection is always really valuable. So, so stop and look at what you're really ultimately trying to do. As we've talked about in the past, when you're farming commercially, obviously one of your primary goals is to make money. Well, so, so what are you looking to do? You're looking to become a commercial producer of lettuce and culinary herbs. Okay, so where are you looking to sell those? Well, gee, I didn't really think about that. Or um, you know, I read in in you know on LinkedIn that you know the, there's a waiting market everywhere because there's a food shortage in the world. And of course, or, that's or I read that you can grow hydroponic turmeric. Let's just let's just turn everything to turmeric and sell it. And I'm like, well, where where are we going to sell all that turmeric? Well, turmeric in the store when I buy it is very expensive. So I'm sure you can make a lot of money growing it. Um, not sure how to how to do that. And do you know what turmeric really is? And do you know how to process it to, you know, to, well, what are they harvesting? Are they that? harvesting the root? Are they harvesting the leaves or <laughs> the flowers? Or I thought you just grew these little turmeric pills that you can then put in a bottle and people can buy. 
So yeah, so so I mean, understanding and and, and we're you know we're we're making some light of of the you know some of the specialty items, but really, regardless of whether you're growing kind of a basic staple food crop like lettuce, or you're growing something unique, obviously there's growers that are growing um, flowers for saffron, growing cannabis, medicinals, pharmaceuticals, nutraceuticals, cosmetics. Regardless of of the actual crop you're looking to grow really dialing in where you are in your in your plan you know what you're looking to grow and where you're looking to sell it or how you're looking to market or how you're looking to get it to the end consumer is really important and again as i said i mean is even as an experienced commercial grower sometimes reevaluating my growing operation based on those factors is very valuable so so we always work with the clients extensively to really dial in what they're looking to to produce, why they're looking to produce that. We we help them to do market research and un- really understand, you know, what is what is out there for a market. And then sometimes that may show them that maybe maybe growing lettuce in this region is not a great idea because the market is already fairly saturated with good quality. What if somebody had a bunch of time and they wanted to uh, take it slow? Would you recommend workshops to them before buying equipment as well? Oh yeah, I mean something like that. I mean, there's you know market it, market for time, for example, is somewhat limited in a lot of areas. The production methods to grow high quality time, the harvest timing, the processing, if need be, all of those things are really important factors. So you know, are you looking to grow dried herbs? Are you looking to sell fresh market herbs? And again, a lot of that is going to be dictated by where you're looking to sell them and and. Where you are looking to sell them is going to be dictated by what market demands are out there, or if there's how much how much it costs you to produce it per pound as well. Sure, absolutely. But not only market demands, but market opportunities. We've had a lot of growers. I've done this myself. Um, Sometimes, if you're growing, let's say basil, for example, in an existing market, you want to get in there because there's not enough good quality basil. You want to get in there and compete with other basil growers. But we've started to grow other niche. Crop, um, crop specifically because there's no um, product in the market. Um, you know, even some big commercial growers like Sunset Farm have capitalized on some of the specialty snacking tomatoes. And that's something that actually we did with snacking cucumbers a few years ago is that European cucumbers, beta alpha cucumbers were all very, very popular in these local markets. People like them and consumers. And remember this, everyone, the, the market consumers are always looking for something new. Always. This will never change. This is always evolving. I've been in the produce industry for over 50 years, and I can tell you that people are always asking, what else have you, have you got? So we started looking at the, the market, and we started producing some specialty snacking cucumbers, real high flavor, really good quality gourmet. This The local areas had never seen those before. And so we saw an opportunity. And there, of course, there's a risk there. That's a little bit of a gamble. But we put some production into these snacking cucumbers. And we went into the market knowing that there was a great and strong demand for regular or more gourmet cucumbers. And this just really, I mean, it, it took off like wildfire because people really enjoyed those. So when you're looking at your present or potential markets, um, understanding not only what the markets are specifically looking for, but maybe what 
the markets haven't thought to look for yet. So there's a lot of different things that you can do. And I always... and, and When you're and, marketing or you're thinking of... It's basically, it's all just uh, it's like playing... It's gambling, right? Yeah. Oh, for sure. Um, I have my entire life... Uh, my wife's been very patient with me. Uh, everywhere we go, I stop in grocery stores. I stop at farmer's markets, walk around, see what's out there, see what people are growing. Do you think see that's a really good thing right now? Uh, you know, hydroponic, the word hydroponic is getting more accepted. It's getting, People are understanding what hydroponics is and not scared of it. Do you recommend if you're doing hydroponic lettuce or anything hydroponic to immediately go to the markets and sell there? Is that is that a first place for someone to start? Well, yeah, the retail markets are always uh, good, a good place, um, both because consumer acceptance, as you said, has, has been, you know, growing rapidly. Uh, people, when I started in the business, people would say, hydroplanics, what? Hydro what? And didn't understand a lot of that. Now, almost everyone is very familiar with some types of controlled environment ag products. And, and, and again, uh, there's a lot of customer loyalty there, too. They try those products. They're high quality. They like them. Um, so yeah, so the market demand is there, but also retailers have, um, you know, produce buyers have become very familiar with hydroponically grown produce and have come to know um, the the quality and consistency, um, the 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 longevity of the product. You know, a hydroponic lettuce producer that's you know three miles away from a grocery store is going to give you product that is going to last on the shelf significantly longer than a head of lettuce that's traveled 4,000 miles. And it was in Wisconsin, in the state of Wisconsin, you can go to any quick trip gas station and get aquaponic grown lettuce. In the gas stations? Oh, At wow. the gas station, quick trips. Ay, ay, ay. So, so any quick trip in Wisconsin sells hydroponic lettuce, well, or aquaponic lettuce. Okay, so if you if any of our listeners in Wisconsin, if you need to stop for cigarettes, lottery tickets, maybe a Red Bull and some aquaponic lettuce, we know where you're going to go. Don't forget about the Bud Light. They need their Bud Light. <laughs> but um, but yeah, so so really a deep dive um, into to markets. And again, you know, this is looking at selling to retailers, selling at farmers markets, selling direct to consumers through farm stands, CSAs. There's a lot there a lot of opportunity and i i re always recommend to, to growers or potential growers to not limit themselves to one model you know to, or to sell. even talk to the person that's running the farmer's market before you know go talk sure. to them and ask them who's been selling what what do you think that we should be bringing to the market sometimes they can have some some past information that you can work off of oh absolutely farmer's markets i personally never liked working in the farmer's markets because i don't enjoy sitting at a table on saturday Saturday all day selling products to the consumer. A lot of people do, but the input, the direct and immediate input that you get from consumers is so valuable, whether it's constructive. Um, uh, so uh, even if they had coffee and a, and a good uh, breakfast burrito for you there, would that, would that get you to go there at least for the <laughs> first half? It might me a little bit more, but, <laughs> but certainly the, the value uh, of that input. Um, I've told this story before um, in public, but we had um, uh, uh, we ran a year on farmers market here in Western Massachusetts on our own farm for seven years, and um, we had a lot of fun doing it. And we did a lot of um, you know we, we met a lot of great people. We had farms from all around the area come in, so we were the only hydroponic grower in the market. We had a number of other conventional farms. We had some organic farms, some meat producers, 
And we're in a college town, Amherst, Massachusetts. And so people there are, you know, very sophisticated in terms of their, their purchases. And we, for years, would have someone, whether it was to me, my wife, or one of the people working with us, um, people would pick up the lettuce and look at the, you know, we had a lot of signage explaining hydroponics and all that. And they would say, is this, is this lettuce organic? And so we, you know, we, we, we kind of smile because, you know, that's, that is the most common question we ever got. And so we'd explain to them uh, what organically produced uh, produce or what, what the uh, process is in, in growing organic lettuce and how we grow and, and the process that we use and all of that. And in, in all of the years we ran the farmer's market, not a single person, after getting the explanation of how we grow, not a single person ever put the lettuce back. They always bought the lettuce, and most of them became loyal customers. So that educational component is important, but also the, the feedback, understanding what's important to your to your your customers. And, and your to build members. up a really good email list too, I think it's it really really works uh, to do that. With to get a an email list of people that are really interested in this urban farming or anything to do with community farming. Yeah, um, there's been a lot of informal uh, market research, some formal studies, but but a lot of it is anecdotal. Um, I've spent years in different produce terminals all over the country, and over the past several years, the, the trends that are are dominant people people talk about organic produce versus conventional a lot but that's not really what consumers are talking about consumers are interested in local they want to know something about their grower they want to know if their grower is somewhere someone here in their region they want to know if that grower is using sustainable practices if the grower is growing you know dedicated to food safe practices they really want to know a lot about they want to know the story of your product so so that's also, again, very valuable information. People will take locally grown pesticide-free product every single day over, say, organic or uh, some other type of premium product. So, so that type of information really only comes from being in the business. It comes from talking to people. So that's the kind of thing as a grower or a potential grower that you want to really understand. And that's something that we always help with work. I mean, there's a lot to it. We've talked about it already a lot, but there's there's inherently an unbelievable amount of, of benefit to doing that. So, so we can talk about the systems, we can talk about all the different processes all day long, but without that real foundation of understanding what you can or should be growing and how you should be marketing it. Everything a good, else, and a good way to get them to understand, you know, um, uh, organic or non-organic or hydroponic or traditional. Well, I started to grow in a tray where the top of the tray is filled with soil. Uh, the tray, the tray is lifted up from the bottom tray, so there's a, there's a gap between the two, and then the 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 roots are all growing in the air. Mm-hmm. So so I got soil grown, but then I'm feeding my roots water from the bottom. So only water, the soil never gets wet because the water goes up to the soil. So it's actually soiled, grown, hydroponically fed. So now we're going to be going into the Nick Green's custom new hydroponic soil hybrid growing system, apparently. Uh, The reason why I do that, Joe, is because the micros Mm -hmm. grow tighter together. I'm trying to figure out on how tight close can I get together and what size will they get till they start showing signs of stress? 
So that's a great segue into kind of the next phase of the of the process is kind of your your design, identifying um, what types of systems and what type of methodology would best suit your your needs. So so right. to Nick's point that Nick is talking about growing um, a microgreen product or a baby leaf product. And how would he know that he would want to be doing that? Well, because he just did a lot of the market research we talked about, and he's yeah. talked to potential markets. And so he's identified a niche in the market that he wants to fulfill. So uh, now next stage, and again, we'll hypothetically use Nick as the client. So Nick understands his markets really well. He's done his homework. He's built his foundation. So now we have to understand, well, okay, what types of systems, what type of methodology would best allow him to do that. And we have to look at a, a number of factors. So first of all, where where are you, Nick? You know, where in the country are you? What's the climate like? And then that's why I chose the soil to be the first medium to, to germinate in is because it really doesn't matter where the world, uh, a seed is going to find a way to germinate, right? So oh, sure. yeah, but your environment, the physical environment. Exactly. It's the physical yeah. environment. Yeah, so that's that's and and are you in a, a rural setting where you have space? Are you in a, a high rise in in, a, in an urban setting? I mean, those are all important factors. So we have to start looking at what's available to us, um, what our current conditions are, and then build a model around that. And again, always keeping in the back of your head the economics of it. Yeah, and so, and you don't have to grow in soil straight soil. I could have used cocoa, or I could have used. You know, I could have used a piece of paper towel. But yeah, once again, the reason why I chose this is because it has the, the micros in there for me to allow to grow more product per square inch. So once Nick's goals are, are understood and refined, then we're just looking at the tools. And that's all this is. And so the growing media, the, even the nutritional management, again, it's tools. So um, that's an excellent point. So once we start looking at the crops and we start looking at what we want to produce and we start looking at where we are, what we've got to work with, then obviously there's other factors involved. And a lot of them are, again, economic. So what level of technology you plan on using somehow um, is tied to, in somewhat uh, is tied to your infrastructure, your, the, your budget. Um, if you're a small scale rural grower with limited resources and limited materials available to you, Obviously, the type of systems and, and methodology that you use are going to be slightly, you know, somewhat different than if you were growing in an urban setting with, you know, high levels of technology and infrastructure. So, again, this is going back to there's no well, one. This project that we're talking now is it's a think of boutique farm that does high end, high end. So we're doing quality over quantity, but in a very small setting. Yeah, so you're looking at the systems that will allow you to do that. You're looking at the environmental management in that space. So that loft system, that loft uh, situation, obviously and dialing all the processes in that go into that space. Correct? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So you have to be looking at at lighting, at heating, cooling, CO two, air movement, VPD. You're looking at all uh, Nadia Saba, Doctor Greenhouse, who we had on recently. Um, you know, really illustrated that very clearly for everyone is that you have to look at the the environment the, the envelope if you will where you're growing your plants and and look to um, 
to what you need to provide or what you need to do to be able to provide that. So that's really well, important. This system will be all based on root temperature zone, right? Well, that's yeah. Well, um, because of the systems we're going to be using and what we're we're growing in little trays, we have to we have to worry about the the root zone over the leaf zone. Yeah, but they're both important. In fact, I just I just pulled it up here. Um, Nadia's uh, podcast just went out today, and I've got a quote from her, and she said, "Controlling the environment around the plant is one of the most overlooked and underrated portions of designing and planning an indoor farm." So and think this about is 100% that. One hundred percent true because when yep. sometimes when I, I go into a, a boardroom and we're thinking design, and the estimate for the HVAC system is two million dollars, uh, one of the guys in the room will say, "Can we make that one million? <laughs> well, we have to cut our production in half." Well, yeah, and and I mean if you're uh, if you're constrained by budgetary situations like most of us are, then instead of just kind of saying, well, okay, this doesn't work or we have to completely, you, you can make different modifications to a project to meet that. But that's a, that's a big factor. Um, I just saw some arguments on a, a social media platform recently where people were arguing about indoor plant factories versus a greenhouse versus growing outdoors. And one of those, you know, the arguments is, well, you need to be efficient. So you need to install this type of racking system and this type of automation. And you know, completely ignoring the economics involved, not only like what the operational costs and potential return on investment could or, or may or may not be, but also just the, the, the budget. You know, pro I work on projects every day where the budget for the project is a major factor. So don't be afraid of that. Don't be, um, you know, sometimes people tend to shy away from that. I can tell you from personal experience in my own growing operation, my first foray into hydroponics was back in 1984. And I built a, a you know, good sized greenhouse. It was a almost a 5,000 square foot greenhouse. I think you just showed your age. Yeah, well, <laughs> my face shows my age too. So, <laughs> but uh, to your um, your favorite question about what advice would you give your you know younger self, is and that's what I've thought about a lot. And what what I would have done if I could go back is I would have scaled that back significantly, and I would have started smaller, and I would have invested more of my money and time and effort into better systems, better technology, better methods to produce more with less. So the the idea of, you know, what you can put into building a system or purchasing a system or operating a system is very relevant to that, uh, to, to what we do. So in our design, while we're helping you to do that and selecting the right technological tools, that's a big factor. So again, going back to you know what crops your your research and your your uh, market study had what what crops and what crop plan you want to put forward that design that we're now doing that's a you know is based on that. But the economics, your infrastructure, where you are in the world, or where your geography is, is also really important. Um, and that's when we really start dialing in on the technological tools. And, and the importance to have a, a professional while you're making these decisions, you know, the question that I get the most, and I'm pretty sure you get this question too, Joe, is can one of those Aero Garden Juice Plus, uh, uh, um, 
can we just put a thousand of them in a, in a room and 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 we're gonna make money and i'm like oh okay i mean don't get me wrong those systems work for education they work to teach the kids and the understanding basics behind it but when you put that into scale cleaning those things joe oh my god yeah i return i got one of those for free joe i gave it back to them i didn't even want it <laughs> yeah scale is really important you know um and so so that's that's i mean i mean how you would build a three thousand square foot home versus a thousand unit apartment building you know, are very different. So scale and, and scope and even potential future expansion are very relevant. So you're I right. I think you're onto something with that 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 uh, analogy there, Bill. So, I think the way people should think about it, instead of your 200,000 square foot facility, break that up into like 20, 30 of those rooms. Well, for a lot of applications. Treat them like a hotel facility. I think you're onto something with that analogy there. Sure, we'll call it the hydroponics hotel, and uh, we'll set up different floors for different things. But but in all seriousness, I mean the 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 scope and scale, um, and even potential scope is is very important as well. With all of our clients, especially our commercial growers, we have to design a facility that is profitable and effective for the goals that they have standalone. So let's say a 30 by 96 greenhouse. So that has to be that has to be functional and successful as it stands. But if a client even thinks at this stage that well if things go well I would really like to maybe build out and add a few more greenhouses. So we always work into the plan that eye for future expansion. You know, so looking at, you know, a packing house and how that could be expanded, laying out the greenhouses in such a way so a gutter connect style greenhouse can easily be expanded. So even again, as I said, even if they never expand and never change the model from what they start with, you want that model to be adaptable enough where if they do expand, that they can do that very easily. I have seen over the years, many growing operations expand and ones that had failed to plan properly, basically in many cases have to, had to knock down what they had and when they expanded, rebuild. Um, whereas other growers who set it up appropriately were able to pretty easily expand. And, and that's- When a, you expand, you don't knock down, you keep that money running. That's like the car industry, right, Joe? The car industry that are selling gasoline engines is only running not because it it works, no, because they have to keep that money coming in. Well, sure, but I, I have seen growing operations that needed to expand or were looking to expand, and they they're and they shut down all revenue expansion. coming in. Yeah, well, it didn't it didn't fit in with their expansion, so they actually the, then then it. then that's not the model. Well, that was it was poor hey, planning. Hey. It's it's not going to fix our plan, so we need to break what's working and build and that something again. that we never built before. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Poor planning. Um, yeah, it, there's sure. a lot of you know real corny old sayings about proper planning and poor planning and all that, but it's very true. And when you are looking at investing ten, twenty, fifty. $200,000 into a commercial growing facility, that lack of planning is, is very dangerous and economically damaging. So, so as consultants, 
Um, one of the things I'd like to everyone just to, to understand is that as a consultant, Nick has done this, I have done this. As a grower, what a consultant really is doing is guiding you based on their experience and the experiences of their other clients. And that is translated to lots of mistakes. And if you hire me as a consultant, one of my primary goals is to help you avoid the inevitable mistakes and pitfalls that most growers fall into. Why do I know about these mistakes? Because I've made those mistakes or I've worked with someone who've made those mistakes. And so to streamline the process, to be more effective, we want to help you understand the potential problems and challenges and make sure you build around them. And sometimes so I want people to learn little mistakes, Joe. Yes. Because then they know that there's a big mistake that can come and they're like, oh, wait a minute, this guy maybe was right. Because if they don't make no mistakes, they, they, they don't feel they need an expert. Absolutely. And pain is the best teacher. And whether that's physical pain or economic pain, um, you you learn quickly, but we we help as as consultants and guy and uh, as someone to guide you. We want to help you avoid that. So obviously, the design and the selection of the appropriate technology is really important. So once we have that, and that's kind of where a lot of people start. They come to us with kind of a plan in mind already. Well, this is what I want. I want this type of system, and I want this. And so all the things that Nick and I have been talking about for the last half hour, all are sometimes missed. So so step back, whether you're a grower already or whether you're looking to grow and really spend some time there. So once we design everything, we um, you know recommend the appropriate technology, now you have a plan. Now you can build a budget. Now you can do production projections. You can ex figure out what you expect to be producing in your tomato greenhouse, for example. And that's something that a lot of growers will do on their own. That's something as consultants and we can guide you through and give you, you know, realistic information. And then from there, building your business model, uh, launching your business um, is there. So we, you know, and another question I get too is, is it, it, if what's best, is it for profit? Is it non-for-profit? Is it, uh, is it also employee owned? That's, that's one that's been thrown around. Uh, that I, I personally like that one. I like the employee-owned uh, just because, I mean, look, for instance, like Johnny Selects, right? Mm -hmm. Johnny Seeds, right? Uh, they're a 100% employee-owned, and that company's, you know, doing well. Yeah, yeah. So, so that business model obviously needs to be refined and identified in that early planning stages. So um, now that's not to say that there aren't things in your business, even if you're established, that will change and you can evolve, certainly. And that's, that's, that's always happening. But the, the development of your business, the development of your model, the development of your technologies are definitely much what's better. What's going to pay the bills and what's going to generate, too, is very important, right? It's yeah. not just a, you know, it's not all about, hey, we're going to save the world. Yes, that's nice, but you can't save the world with no money. <laughs> that and that's an excellent point. And whether we're talking about, uh, we're working on a, a fairly large project in, in Torrington, Connecticut, right now, which is a, a nonprofit. Um, but one of the most important parts that we've had to help the client dial in on is the economics, because regardless of your mission, whether you are looking to just you know have a career, make some money, raise a family, build a house. Um, or you want to run a nonprofit and feed the homeless. You want to give people jobs. You want to put out more nutrition. Whatever your goals are, 
all of those, even the best mission and the most noble mission falls apart if the economics are not there. So I've been, you know, I've been criticized in the past for focusing too much on the productivity of a system and the economics behind it. But that is the driver and face that, folks. So, so with your prof professional uh, advice, would you recommend someone not to do hydroponic eggplants over hydroponic tomatoes? <laughs> well, uh, I've seen people do the specialty baby eggplants and do very well. But oh, without really? wow, I've never, yeah. I've never, I've never seen a farm do that. Wow. Absolutely. No, actually, yeah, the the small round eggplants and then the um, the Asian white eggplants, uh, very. But again, you have to understand which markets are. You have to understand. You have to understand that plant and how how that plant likes yeah. to grow and what it likes and yeah, and which is again all part of that initial design. If and you I'm notice, pretty sure you would need to do pruning techniques to it too. As well right oh, peppers. and it's similar but you know to, to say pepper production but there are, are some specific differences yeah it grows a so, little bit different right just a little bit different a little bit a little bit yeah so so if you think about all these things that nick and i keep talking about everything keeps going back to that design phase Again, the often overlooked. It's the not. It's it's not as sexy as looking at a shipping container or a vertical farm or a big hydroponic farm. It's not as cool as that, but it is far more important. So everything we keep talking about keeps circling back to proper design. So I hope that's becoming evident in terms of its importance to all of you. But as I had said, economics are going to rule regardless of what you're doing. Um, so, with that said, all of the factors that we've talked about have to be kind of baked into that cake. And now we're looking at construction, we're looking at implementation, setting up the systems, setting up your infrastructure, actually setting up your physical business. That's something that many growers, they're either, you know, farmers or they, they're business people, or they want to, to tackle that themselves, they want to develop that, that's fine. There are a number of people and a number of companies that have done an excellent job doing that. But that's also something that professional guidance, if you're not clear, if you have concerns, that's something that's also very important. And that's sometimes overlooked as well. So con this construction process itself is very complicated uh, oftentimes. Coordinating site prep, regulatory issues, working with a municipality, bringing in infrastructure, you know, utilities, creating a, a usable site, deciding on the construction uh, contractors, uh, you know, everything. SCAP, OSHA, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> everything, all, all of the above. Yeah. So that's, a, again, that's another uh, component to the building a CEA business that is often overlooked. I did a, um, a YouTube video for Amhydro related to the construction process. And I kind of talked through all of these different processes and hurdles. Um, so it can get pretty complicated. It can be simple. Even having the right construction team is, is very okay. crucial. Yes, absolutely. Building a greenhouse. If you are hiring a contractor to build, your, say, build your greenhouse, having a contractor that can do it properly in a month and a half and then another contractor who will do it not so well and take five months, the economics of that are staggeringly different. So understanding that working with greenhouse companies that have partner contractors, most greenhouse companies will not build a greenhouse, for example, but they do have contractors that they work with who are skilled in that. Well, like that, companies like G&V, &G right? 
Yeah, absolutely. Julie, yeah, Julie, uh, one of our, our previous guests, you know, GNV is an excellent resource and an amazing company, and they will come in and they can manage the project. So in a lot of cases, having that professional help will save you so much time and so much money. And I've always kind of been one of those, you know, believers in doing things yourself and saying, well, I can't afford to hire this expert. And I hate to sound like a used car salesman who says, but you can't afford not to use it. But in, you know, in, in this application with, with CEA Technologies and the significant investments that you have, having that expert guidance pays for itself many, many times over. Mistakes can be very costly. Delays can be very costly. So very important to, to if you are not skilled or experienced in that aspect, very important to at least- well, cons- And the network that, uh, um, that, the, that the consultant brings to the client is just priceless. I mean, you got to think about the network that we have. Uh, you know, it took us- you know, 20 years, it took you over 35 years to get to this point where we're at in our career. So we do bring that along with, uh, with, with all of our uh, knowledge as well. Sure. Yeah. Okay. So congratulations. You've got your greenhouse built. You have your systems in place. You have your warehouse or packing house. Um, you know, you may be a small little um, backyard grower. You may be a large commercial scale, but you're basically ready to go. So you know, uh, do you have the experience to grow? Have you grown before? Have you learned enough? Have you watched Nick's YouTube videos? Have you watched M Hydro's YouTube videos? All of those things are very valuable and very important. And understanding your grow process is going to be important. And um, so getting started, again, if you if we're working with a client, for example, that has uh, a good amount of knowledge, but even has some gaps, they're, they're not quite sure how to train their employees. They're not uh, unsure of food safety um, uh, requirements in their area. Then again, we can step in and guide you through that. We've, we've provided um, Gotham Greens. Jen Freimark was on our, our podcast. She was awesome. So Gotham is a well-established and very experienced growing company. They would call us and they would need a system and they would tell us what they wanted and we would send them the system and that's it. You know, wash your hands of it and they, they take it from here. Conversely, other companies, um, Torrington, Connecticut, new opportunities that we're working with, they have, um, excellent people, but no experience in controlled environment agriculture. So we're providing, uh, SOPs, you know, standard operating procedures, growing methodology for them, ongoing crop production consulting. Um, we have IPM consultant, production consultants, people that will help guide through and avoid a lot of the potentially disastrous mistakes that, that someone who's not experienced in commercial production can face. So once we're- now, Some once- of these partnerships last longer than, than a year or months. I mean, do you have some partnerships that go on and on? Oh, certainly. We, I mean, and, and before, I don't want people to start getting worried and saying, Oh my gosh, they're recommending that we pay this consultant for years and years. No. So uh, a good consultant will help you through the different processes. And if you have specific needs, they work with you. But the entire goal is, it's very much like if you have a, a, a young toddler who is learning to walk. You're, you know, at first you're holding that toddler upright and helping them slowly, but surely if you're doing a job correctly, they will slowly take a few steps and you kind of just steady them. And then from there, they start walking and then they, they, and then they run. And the, we approach our clients the same way. So our goal is to, as quickly as possible, ramp them up with experience and knowledge. 
So the goal is when we're working with, say, a client who needs growing guidance or grower training, the goal is, is to immerse them in it, give them as much uh, assistance as needed, but to, to, to be able to start stepping away. And it's very incremental. Now, with Amhydro projects, we have customers that we have been working with for years. We don't charge them for consultant every time consulting every time they call. We have growers all the time. We're dedicated to making sure growers are successful. So we have never stopped working with clients. Um, again, we've got growers that have been growing for 15 years now and may still call once in a while with some particular challenge or need some advice on a variety. And that's what we do. So when we work with a specific consulting client that we've helped design and implement or build, build their systems, we never leave. So um, once you're growing, we're with you forever. And, uh, and that's you know, one of the things that we pride ourselves on, you know, creating successful growers. I know you do that as well. So, so really the idea is to be involved as little as possible. Uh, the consulting or the training is comparatively a small piece of your. You know, I do. I do have one story though, Joe, that I had to. Oh. I wanted to help this person so bad, Joe. I really did, deep in my heart, you know. And and God be the witness that I really did, did try with all my might to make it work. And you know, and I've told the person that look, I really don't do projects like this. You know, it was. It was a project of just reading light, taking a light meter, reading the levels of light that her garden was getting so she can make an argument that if they built a building in front of her, then this is how much light's going to get lost. And now all the garden's going to die. Right. So in order to make that argument, she needs the light readings. So I'm teaching her on how to do this. And she she wanted all my time. She wanted to call me. She wanted to talk to me for an hour she was sending me long text messages long emails you know and i mean joe i'm a nice guy i'm gonna keep going and going and it's I'm like wait a minute i can't do this no more it was starting to eat up into time that i had to give my clients so then i was like i have to tell her so i had to tell her no I, i'm sorry i can't move further no more you know well, fortunately, most growers are very independent-minded, and they don't want to rely on, on, on too much of your time or too much of your help. You, um, unfortunately, occasionally can get people like that. Um, to that point, uh, and again, to segue, so now you have followed our advice. You've worked with us. You, we've designed your operation. You've built it. You're up and running. You're successful. You're doing well. So whether you as an experienced grower have questions or whether... Uh, people listening to this now who maybe they're just um, interested in the industry. Maybe they're thinking about getting into the industry at some point. Maybe they're researchers and teachers. There's always going to be questions. Nick and I were talking off air about uh, setting up a Reddit uh, account to take more questions. Uh, people email us all the time. And of course, we encourage you to continue. We're compiling uh, a list of our best and most relevant questions. And we're going to try to address them in a couple uh, upcoming episodes. Um, so we encourage that. We're also, when we are at Indoor AgCon uh, coming up later this fall, we're going to be talking to a lot of people. So we're hoping. And what we're going to do is I'm going to take pictures of, of people's systems. So please start sending in your pictures of your systems. We're going to we're gonna show them to the experts and we're going to have a lot of the experts critique uh, other people's systems and just kind of uh, have fun with that. 
Yeah, because really the industry is only going to grow effectively if we all work together, support each other, help each other out, and improve the quality of the systems, improve the quality of the crops, improve the consistency, etc. So, you know, as we move forward, um, that discussion, these question and answers, we're going to do another uh, on the podcast upcoming we're going to also do a growers roundtable and a researcher and, and teachers roundtable. And we're going to have people um, having those discussions. So what you're interested in, you particularly, what you want to know about is really important to us. So um, please continue. Um, Nick at nickgreens.com, Joe at amhydro.com are great ways to, to get in touch with us. Uh, our social media, obviously, um, both Nick and I post a lot of stuff all the time. You can go on and post questions. Joe, I don't know. I don't know if I ever told you, but I just wanted to kind of just tell you right now, though. I appreciate your friendship, man. And I remember that first day we met and and I knew that we were going to be friends. So I just wanted to to make sure that you know that. Back in Chicago. And that's likewise, my friend. So I appreciate that. And, and 14, 2014, we met. Yep. That was a long time. Now you're showing your age. So. <laughs> So anyway, so that, that was a kind of a long-winded explanation of, of how we go through a process. But really, it's, it's critically important to, to look, regardless of who you are, regardless of what your actual situation is, to, to develop a, a CEA program based on certain criteria and doing it you know, appropriately and building from there. And, and I can promise you that if you follow those steps, if you follow that process, um, you're going to be in a much stronger position, have a much better um, chance at, at being very successful in the industry. So we, we look forward to talking with you further. We look forward to more of your questions. We look forward to seeing you at events um, coming up in the near future. So um, we thank you for your time today. Um, Nick, any parting words for, uh, for our, our listeners? Uh, you know, I, I think I'll answer my own question that I asked everyone. You know, what would I tell a younger version of myself? That's right. I would say keep rocking on. There you go. All right. Good advice from Mr. Greens. All right. So thanks very much, everyone, for your time. We appreciate you spending some time with us. Um, please keep in contact with us and we'll have more. Um, so we have some really interesting guests coming up in the, the next few weeks. So we're looking forward to spending some time with you and uh, talking about all things controlled environment agriculture. So in the meantime, thanks very much for joining us here on the Polygreens podcast. And we hope you have a great day and look forward to talking with you soon.